Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. Deep within each person's desire is to look out for themselves. We all have that. It's a, it's a drive. It's a selfish ambition. And selfishness, it'll manifest itself in our priorities, in our actions, and even in our relationships. But too often, our tendency is to look inward only intensifies the problems with that. There's so many, if you go to any bookstore, if you search Amazon, or, or you go to the library, there are buildings filled with books on self-help. But folks, if we look at self-help apart from Christ, we are only throwing fuel on that fire. So do not let your drive for self-reliance and looking out for number one keep you from knowing the true unlimited power of submitting to God in your life. And that's what James is telling us today as we continue to walk through his book. We're going to be in James chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Now, I'm, I'm glad you folks are here today because I know some of you share my passion. Some of you are more passionate about this. I spoke about it before, but it's good old wrestling, right? I know I've got my wrestling contingency over here. Uh, but wrestling, or as my grandmother, grandmother used to say, wrestling, uh, it is still a phenomenon. Some of you don't like it. Some of you don't watch it. I watch it when I can. My, my heyday watching it was back when the greats were on, like uh, American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Ric Flair is still alive, but I don't know how much flair he's got anymore. He's still the nature boy. But uh, the highlight to most any match is at the end where the momentum has gone back and forth. You have the hero and the heel, the hero and the heel, and it goes back and forth. And, and, and I can always remember, especially when those some of those wrestlers that I mentioned, when uh, it would get down, especially whenever uh, Dusty Rhodes would wrestle Ric Flair, Dusty, Dusty Rhodes would be on his back, and Ric Flair would be on top of him. They have to, the referee has to count till three. Their shoulder has to be pinned. And so they, they would take Dusty's arm and they'd raise it up and it'd fall down. One! They raise, you know, you've seen it, haven't you? They raise it up again. Boom! Two! And then on the third one, they raise it up and he'll go. And then all of a sudden the crowd gets on their feet, his shoulder comes off the mat, and he commences to whip it on Ric Flair, and then he, drops it off, and he finishes his move. What was the finishing move? Do you remember? Come on, Weldon. For Dusty Rose. What was it called? The elbow drop, the bionic elbow, the atomic elbow, whatever it was. Boom! And it would be gone. And now all these wrestlers have all these different finishing moves they're trying to get. But there was one finishing move that I remember. There's a guy you may not have heard of. His name was Greg the Hammer Valentine. And so he would always get these guys into what they call the figure four. Now, I'm sorry, parents, your kids are going to probably go to YouTube, look these up, and try them on you when they get home. All right? But the truth of the matter is, is that they would be able to interlock their legs with the other person to make a four. And it was called the figure four uh, leg lock. And it was supposedly unbreakable at the time. And so what would happen is, is that they would... Wrap that figure four on somebody until they submitted. 
And by submission, it just means I can't take anymore. Get my legs out of this. I don't care. I'm done. Match is over. Now, here's the thing. I I always enjoy talking about wrestling, especially back in the old days. I don't get into it now. It's a little too much of stuff. But but back in the day, I really did enjoy it. It was like a grown-up soap opera, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that what a great illustration of that submission move. Folks, sometimes we are put in those submission moves. Sometimes God pins us down to a point to where our legs, either literally or spiritually or figuratively, are in the figure four headlock, and he's not going to let go until we submit. When I think about that, I think of the great wrestling match between Jacob and God in Genesis where Jacob said, I am not going to let go, God, until you bless me. And there are times where you've been in your life, and I've been in my life, to where we just point blank have to submit to God. Now, the thing is, is that everyone submits. Everyone in here submits to something. Yes, we all submit. We submit to bad weather. We submit to the laws of the land. If you've ever hit the brakes when you see a police car at a, a speed trap, you are submitting to the law. And sometimes we submit to the things that are out of our control on a daily basis. But here, folks, anytime I preach on this, it's the truth, and I always say this, but submission has become a dirty word in today's culture to many because so many people, quite frankly, have the wrong understanding of what submission is. And what it means. So it's time for us to dive into God's Word this morning. If you brought a copy of God's Word, again, we're in the book of James. It's near the the back portion of the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 of James chapter 4. And so let's see what God's Word says about this. Number one, submission to God keeps your motives in check. Submission to God keeps your motives in check. In check. Let's see what that means. Now remember, as I, and I'll probably say this several times, this is a book written by James to the church. It wasn't for the lost people out there, folks. It's for you and me and the people inside the walls of a church that claim to be Christians. Evidently, there was some fighting going on. I've never heard of a church that fights, have you? Maybe it was just them. But all seriousness, though, There's always going to be confrontation. There's always going to be people that don't agree. But this church had become sidetracked and they were fighting. And he asked the point blank in verse one. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Do they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you do not ask God for it. You do not have because you do not ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. And you only want what's going to give you pleasure. What I want us to see today is that If we were to be honest with ourselves and honest with our motives, I I know many people and I myself have prayed sometimes for God to do something. And there are times where God has answered exactly like I expected it. But most of the time, God always answers in a way I never expected. 
And it always ends up better than I thought it could be. But the truth of the matter is, is that when we go to the Lord, he has a way of examining our motives. Now, we're really good at at polishing them up and making them sound very spiritual. But folks, we need to get to the source of the matter of our prayers and the source and make sure that our prayers are not all about us and what we want God to do, but it's about God and what he wants to do in us. These people that James is writing to, you and to me, have had times where we have lost sight of that fact. So we need to find the root cause of the fight. You see, James boils down the fighting to resulting from the evil desires that are at war within us. Some of you will sit here today and you'll say, well, I'm not evil preacher. I'm not saying you're evil. I'm not saying you're a bad person. But all of us have that sinful nature that is inside of us that sometimes makes us want to pass on the gossip or to not tell a lie but not tell the whole truth or to covet something that somebody else has or to take something for ourselves, or to have that bitterness or that thought that you won't let go of or and all these different things. I mean, I could name all of them, but the Holy Spirit has already told you what you're dealing with, hasn't he? And that's because we have evil desires that war within us. But if you boil down any argument, think about it, whether you are parent to child or spouse or family or at work or or whatever argument you have, if you boil down any argument, any fight, any war, any separation, it boils down to selfishness. You want what you feel like you're not getting. And so you're going to take it or beat down that person until you can get it. Someone wants their way more than they want to please God or anyone else. Like a child who wants something in that moment and will throw an absolute fit to get it. Yes, I was that kid in the middle of the store. I could not get that Hot Wheels car and I would let my mom know that I wanted it. And everybody else that could hear. Yes, I was an only child and I was spoiled. But here's the thing, that's a natural response. When we don't get what we want, we cry. And it's, it's not cute, but it's understandable when a child does it. But it's not cute and understandable when an adult does it, is it? You see, selfishness is controlled by this one word, submission. Selfishness is controlled by submission. And so he, he point blank says it here. He says, church fights and quarrels are harmful. Again, I cannot stress enough the fact that these words were written to James or by James to a church that was fighting. If church members cannot get along, what hope does that church have of reaching the world? Folks, if our churches know more about our fights and our faith, we might as well close the doors. The church was not constructed to fight among itself. The church is a collection of individuals uniquely gifted by God to accomplish his specific purpose. So how do we do that? How do we start the submission process? Well, it it takes, and no one can do this for you. I, as a preacher, cannot do this for you. It's something you do in your walk with the Lord. You need to confront the evil desires that are within you. You see, our natural default is sin. If there is a war, we will fight until our day of completion when Jesus ushers it into heaven. When Jesus comes back, our war with sin will be over. Like Paul says, the difference between a non-Christian 
and a Christian is what when it comes to our sinful nature? A non-Christian, the Bible says, Paul's talking about this, uh, if you are not a Christian, you are enslaved by that sinful desire. You don't know any better, and you just do it, and you don't have a choice out of it. If you are a Christian, you have been delivered from that, that sinful nature, but this time the sinful nature has not gone away. It's just God's given you a way out of it. You've been forgiven of it. And he has given you the Holy Spirit to help you through it. So now it's even worse that when you do go back to it, you know better and you're free, but you still go back to it. It's much like you would rather be in jail and get three meals a day and be enslaved by sin than to be free and live the life that God wants you to live. It is important to note that the evil desires within your heart will manifest themselves into actions when they are not submitted to God. If there is a root of bitterness, you will become a bitter person. If there is a nagging disagreement, it won't go away. If there is a gross misunderstanding or a feeling that you have been slighted or neglected, if you don't don't deal with that and you keep feeding those thoughts, they become infernos. And to not address these things, honestly, will lead to spiritual carnage in your life. There are families that have blown up. There are people that have blown up. There are churches that have split and closed doors because people have not addressed the evil desires that are within their own hearts. You see, honestly, here are today are some people that are harboring evil desires. And to be truthful, it probably scares you to death to hear this. And I'm going to tell you what, it should. If you are harboring evil thoughts, evil desires, evil evil actions and not dealing with them, they will come out eventually somehow and some way. No one marries with the intention of divorcing. I mean, I've married plenty of couples now. And and when we sit down in the premarital stuff, I'll say, you know, have all these questions. Not one of them has said, well, you know what, preacher? Our intention is to be married strong for three years have a couple children, and then we want to get a divorce. Nobody does that. It just happens because, because things start getting in between the couples. Things start getting in between themselves and God. And the thing is, is that no one starts off like that. No one lies with the intent of ending up in jail. But folks, that's where it starts. No one intends to look at a sinful image with the intent of becoming a serial killer. But it has been proven that it happens. If you're harboring evil, today is the day to deal with it. Because it will come out eventually, in somehow, in some way. So we must be real and honest with ourselves about our motives today. And God's Word checks that. So don't become a statistic like many other Christians who have said, I would never do this. Anytime I said I will never do something, I ended up doing it five times worse than I thought I would. And then we see also that we need to ask God for what we need because he will keep our motives in check. Ask God for what you need because he will keep your motives in check. Notice verse 3. He says, yet you didn't have what you want because you didn't ask God for it. And even when you asked, you didn't get it because your motives were all wrong You want only what will give you pleasure. Jesus tells us in scriptures that if we ask for anything, what's the caveat? When Jesus says, ask for anything and I will give it to you, what's the prerequisite? Anybody remember? 
in my name. Ask for anything in my name and it will be given to you. What does that whole in my name thing mean? It means that God wants to give you everything that is entitled to you as long as you are praying in line with God's word. As long as you pray in Jesus' name and it's not for yourself, but it's to glorify Jesus. He wants to give you these things. Jesus tells us that in scripture. If you want the verse for that, it's in John 14, verse 13. You know, he says here, ask God for what you meet, what you need. Submit to his will and watch the floodgates open. You have to identify the root of your problem before your problem causes problems for others. Today, you have to identify the root of your problem before your problem causes problems for others. The second thing we see is that make sure you're loving God first. That would be probably... Top three things you would expect a preacher to say, right? Make sure you love God with all your heart. I mean, that's the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors as yourself. We hear that so much, it just kind of becomes desensitized to us. But the truth is, is that make sure you are loving God first. What does that mean? In verses 4 through 6, he says, you adulterers. Wow. He is not pulling the punches. I mean, he's not hiding the punches. He's taking off the gloves. He says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. If you want to be a friend of the world, you're making yourself an enemy to God. It says in verse 5, do you even think, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives us grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. My friend, if there is an ounce of pride in your life, it is setting you up against God. I know that because I've had to deal with that in my own life. Because an unwillingness to submit, an unwillingness to submit will destroy your relationships. An unwillingness to submit will destroy your relationships. Notice, what did he say about the Christians that were loving the world more than God? He called them adulterers. I'm going to guarantee you, if I were to go out and cheat on my wife and y'all heard about it, and you called me an adulterer, I would be, I would be the talk of the town and every, you know, be, lose the church, lose all this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm, That's because that's how wrong it is for me. But it's no different for anybody else. But to to love the world and not love God, we are committing adultery to God. To let our affections be placed on something or someone above God is committing adultery on God. Do you get the word picture here? It is serious. James paints a pretty rough picture of those who refuse to submit to God. When it comes to submission, I believe Jesus said it best himself. When he was in the Garden of Eden, if you want to know what true submission is, and if you want to know if Jesus could do it, he can, because it says in Luke 22, 43, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, just moments before his arrest, before the fixed trial, before his crucifixion. He says, Father... Daddy, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. If you are willing, Daddy, don't make me go through with this. 
And here's where the submission comes in. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You say, oh, preacher, I can't submit. Jesus did. That's all I'm saying. God uses submission as a basis of love between a husband and wife. I can't tell you the number of times when I'm talking to couples and the word submission comes up and we start talking about biblical submission and I'm, the girls usually get, you know, get that big lump in their throat and all of a sudden you see the head start doing this. The guy's going like that. And it, it's just because, again, there, there's such a wrong understanding of this. And we as Baptists, I remember years ago in a convention, they made a real big deal about this. And, and it went worldwide on the news. And they thought that we were like some type of dictators and trying to, to make our wives stay silent at home and, and, and all that stuff. That's not what this means. Donna Strickland does not stay silent. And Donna Strickland does not stay at home. She's got as much. Oh, she's not back here. She's right there. See, she can do what she wants. She can go where she wants. But still, there is submission. And and you can ask her if she submits to me. I, I think that she'll say yes. I, I would think that she does. But understand, look, again, y'all are thinking with the wrong you're thinking with the wrong definition when I say that. Because when you look at submission. She may submit to me, but it's even worse for the man. Because the man submits to God. The way true submission works in a marriage is I take my family, I take my wife before God and I say, God, whatever you want for me and my family, you show me, you give me the plan. And as God gives me that direction and I submit to his will and to his way, the family will follow along. They don't submit to me because they're supposed to and because I tell them to. It's because if I am submitting to God, God has wired them to follow along. I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, there's going to be some football on today. Daniel, I see you got the right jacket on. I appreciate that. It's kind of hard for me right now to get behind it, but, you know, I'm trying. But, you know, the thing is, is that, when you get the, you know, the, the quarterback gets to the huddle and he gives the play, every one of those players has to submit to whatever call is played in. If they don't submit, they're either not going to get the ball, the quarterback's going to get sacked, or something bad's going to happen. And that's the way submission is with God. We submit. God calls the plays. God is the coach. It's not up to us to interpret it. God calls the plays, and we play our position. So submitting to God, submitting to a husband, submitting to a wife, children submitting to parents, it's part of the plan, it's part of the directions, the way the play is supposed to run. And I'll tell you what, if you will not submit to the people and the authorities that God has placed over you, you will not submit to God. And what does the Bible say? That makes you an enemy of God. And if you will not submit to God, your folks are not going to submit to you. They used to say, everybody's got a boss. It's the truth. Everybody's got a boss. And it starts at the top. 
with God. The husband is not a dictator. He's not an abuser. The wife is not any less of a person. Both values are proven in their submission to God first, then to one another. And if a husband truly submits to God's will for his life, his wife will gladly follow him, loving together, working together side by side. Because a lack of submission is point-blank selfishness, putting your needs before somebody else. I've talked with people before, and they'll say, well, James, I I just don't love him anymore. Wow. Okay. Well, what have you done to serve them? What have you done to make them better? What have you done to add value to your life, to their life? And they always go, nothing. They're the ones that are not doing what I need. And I say, "Uh uh-huh, there's your problem. It's not about what you need. Look, if I have everything I ever want, but I fail in providing for what Donna needs, then I have failed as a husband, I have failed as a Christian, and I have no business being in this pulpit. But it's not just for preachers. It's for all of us. Anytime you and I put ourselves before God, we are practicing adulterers. So we can either be God's friend or we can be God's enemy. The choice is yours and mine. And then... The third thing is, is that submission is humbling yourself before God. It says it right here in verses 7 through 10. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I love that. I hear people say all the time, oh, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen. But nobody ever quotes the first part. So humble yourselves. You are not all that in a bag of chips. That's like a five-year-old reference. I apologize for that. Preachers aren't hip. I don't understand that. But the truth of the matter is, resist the devil and he will flee from you only when you humble yourselves. There was a time when I thought I could be, you know, Joe, Joe Christian, and I could take on, you know, devils and demons with a single bound until I realized it was about in college when I realized that they're nothing to play with. I think of the, the sons of Sceva that you see in the Bible. Those were the ones that thought that they could go in and they could go and exercise the demons out of this man. And so they, these sons of Sceva went all in and they, they went in and, and they preached and they did all these things. And then those demons looked at them. It's in the Bible. Look at it for yourself. Just, Google sons of Sceva in the Bible. And then the demons look at them and say, hey, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you. And those demon-possessed people went to pounce on those guys, and they left with nothing between them and the Lord except a fast run to get out of that building because they got owned because they didn't humble themselves. Remember, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. My friend, If you approach God with pride, he will break you down. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But it's coming your way. How do I know that? Because it's happened to me. And he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Verse 9 says, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. 
Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up in honor. We need to follow directions. We need to follow directions that are here. I was talking to a friend the other day that had a job giving technical support in their their business, their organization, and they were telling a group of us about the frustrations that they had with being an IT worker. And one of the biggest frustrations was that when somebody at the help desk calls them, like they, I think they were like a help desk for a school or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. But they were saying that the thing that drives them crazy is that people will be calling them and saying, my computer won't come on. I, I, I hit the button and nothing's happening. And nine times out of ten they say, well, look back at the wall. Is it plugged in? Oh, thank you. Click. They're not thinking. It's not working. What's going on? When the directions purely say, plug in your device, right? And the thing is, is that James is giving us specific directions for accessing the power of submission. You can find the power of submission today. And this, again, is not a slick list that I've come up with. I don't have an alliteration of something that that can spell this out for you, but it's right in your own scripture if you read it for yourselves. Number one, if you want to know the power of submission, humble yourselves before God. That's the reason our altars are dry. That's the reason our baptismal waters are not moving. That is the reason why the church is dying. That is why there is more emphasis on movements outside of the church in movements within inside of the church because nobody is humbling themselves before the Lord and nobody is taking their sin seriously. We all think that we're okay when we're not because we refuse to humble ourselves before God. Yield to His authority, to His will and His control. Submission is more than just obeying God. It is a surrendering of your will. It's time for you and I to raise our white flag. And surrender to God and say, I can't do this, God. I'm tired of fighting. Show me your way and let's go. So we need to humble ourselves before the God. Second thing, resist the devil. This serves as a reminder that Satan is not all powerful. My friend, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have got all the power within you to resist the devil. Resisting Satan is possible, but the only way it's possible The only way to resist the devil is to yield to God. And as a believer, you are not defeated. You have the power to resist the devil by simply calling on God. The third thing is you can come close to God. I love some translations say, this translation says come close to God. Other translations, yours might say, draw close to God. Doggone it, I hate when things pop in my mind I didn't plan on saying. I can remember my dad was a a long-haul trucker. He'd be gone for, he wasn't coast to coast, he was regional. So he'd be gone for several days at a time. And I always remember when he would come home, he'd be dead tired and he'd want to go take, you know, go, go get some rest. And my mom would try to keep me out of there, but she couldn't. 
And I would go and I'd crawl in that bed and I'd just crawl right up to him and get as close as I can and hug him. He never complained. Because I was drawing close to him. I missed him. And I wanted to tell him I love him. I had to do that with God too. Sometimes I just have to force myself to just draw close to Him. I don't have the words to say. I don't have the prayers that sound all fruity and and fluffy and official. It's just sometimes I just need to draw close to God. And maybe you need to draw close to God today because it says to draw close to God and He will draw closer. He will come to you. God's people have drifted away from Him, folks. Is it self-evident? Just look around. People have drifted away from God. The church has spent so much time under the light of God that we have fallen asleep because we've become too comfortable. James, here, gives all who have drifted the assurance of knowing this. If they want to return to God, God will return to them. My friend, if you think God is distant, if you think God has put the the stiff arm in front of you and that He has kept you at a distance, God has not moved. All you've got to do is take one step back towards Him and He will be there. It's called repentance. But you can only repent when you confess of your sins and you promise to not do your best to not do it again. That is where God's grace comes in. But to come close to God, as long as there is sin in your life, it separates you from God. For those that don't know Christ, it prevents salvation. If you have sin in your life and you have never had Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, you are separated from God and will spend eternity in hell. But if you are a Christian and you have sin in your life, it separates you from that fellowship with God. Like I said, when I would crawl into the bed and just tell my dad I love him and that that closeness. Ask yourself, if you feel far away from God today, is there sin between you and God? And you don't need to have an exorcism. You don't need to have anything other than just you pray, God, forgive me of this. I repent of this and watch God come back. Well, actually, God doesn't come back. It's just you go back to him. There is power in submission when it's found in coming closer to God. We can never, ever love God enough. Can we ever love God as much as he first loved us? No, his love will always be greater. He says, wash your hands, sinners. This is a call to backslidden believers in the church and to those that don't know Jesus at all. Folks, do your best today not to label your sins as habits, as traits, as environmental influences or whatever the world slaps on them. Sin is sin. And then, submission to God is repentance. I'll close with this. There is no greater illustration 
of what true submission and repentance to God is. More, there is no greater illustration. There is no joke. There is no story. There is no warm fuzzy I could give you that would illustrate this better than Luke chapter 15 and the the parable of the prodigal son. You see, the wayward, rebellious son that squandered his father's inheritance away for foolish living, he comes to his senses, he returns to the father, and he's ready to submit to his father by just being a hired hand. Little did he know that the father would honor him, restore him to the family, and throw a homecoming party for him. And if you want to know what submission to God as repentance is, look at Luke 15, verse 24. Notice what the Father says. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. You are never, ever too far from God. If you would just confess and repent and return to Him. He is there waiting. Submission to God means that you agree that your worth does not come from this world, but from God alone. Think about all of the things that God created. You are the only person here today, all of us here, no matter what color you are, no matter how much money you got in your pocket or what thread you got on your backside. We are all created in the image of God. Of everything that was ever created, you are special because of that. And your power comes not from within yourself, but trusting that God will provide for you. That he will go before you and he will hold you through it all. So are you tired of fighting against your own evil desires and the forces of the world that we live in? These pressures will not go away, my friend. But submitting to God will give you the power to rise above them. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today. And as there are people in here this morning, or maybe watching by way of Facebook, that need to draw close to you today, God. They've realized that they have drifted. All they have to do is say, God, forgive me of my sins. I confess my sin. Name that sin. Own it. And say, this is the sin that I confess that keeps me from your presence. I confess it. May your grace wash over it. Your blood has forgiven it. And I repent from that so that I may walk closer with you again. There may be somebody here that says, I have never had a relationship with you, God. And I realize that I have been separated by you by my pride and my failure to submit to you. But today, I cry uncle. Today, you have pinned me to the mat and I give. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live a new life, clean and afresh with you. Or there may be someone here that just wants to pray for something that they're going through. Our invitation looks a little different these days. 
Our invitation is simply pray. Get right with God. And if you need help, if you want to talk to someone, I will be available. Our Bible study teachers and deacons will be available. Our staff will be available. Some of you that don't go to a church or have a different church that may be watching, contact your preacher. But if you want to redirect and return to God today, do not leave this moment before doing such. We love you and we're praying for you. For it's in your name we pray.